Amen. Please be seated. Our gospel lesson is taken from the gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 13, verses 18 through 21, where we find these two parables of our Lord concerning the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse 18. Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's look to our God once again in prayer. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, your Son, who is our great physician, our great teacher, and our great Savior King. We give you thanks for these words he spoke and which your Spirit has preserved for our learning. We pray that you would plant them deep in our hearts through the seemingly small thing of hearing them read and preached. Implant your gospel in us that we may grow in Christ's likeness, that we may grow in his life of self-denial and selfless love and service, that you might equip us in his name and in his likeness to go forth from this place to make an impact for your kingdom here and around the world. Through Christ we pray. Amen. We come this morning to two more parables of our Lord Jesus here in Luke's Gospel. As a way of reminder, the word parable is a Greek word that basically means to place alongside. In other words, a parable makes a comparison between two things. Biblical parables have been described as earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. <clears throat> These particular parables of Jesus teach us about the kingdom of God. A mustard seed and a little leaven are placed alongside the kingdom of of God in order to teach us some important truths, not about a kingdom of this world and things that are part and parcel necessarily of a kingdom of this world, which will pass away, but about Christ's eternal and benevolent kingdom, the kingdom of light. <clears throat> So let's consider the eternal truths contained in these parables under three headings this morning. First, the meaning of these parables. Second, how these parables applied to Jesus' first disciples. 
And third, how these parables apply to you and me today. So first, the meaning of the parables of the mustard seed and the leaven. Jesus was using two different parables to teach on this one basic theme, namely the growth of the kingdom. The growth of the kingdom of God. As we read, he taught them first using the parable of the mustard seed. That seed which is among the tiniest of all seeds. And for the Jews of Jesus' day, it symbolized anything that was extremely small. The rabbis spoke of a spot or blemish of sin as small as a mustard seed. They were meticulous, of course, as we've seen in our study of the Gospels, they were meticulous in their examination examination of sin, or what they deem to be sin, especially the sins of others. They're very good, very good at that, very good. Had a very big magnifying glass for the sins of others. Jesus, on the other hand, spoke of faith the size of a mustard seed. Of course, Jesus is concerned about our sins too. He came to, to deal with those sins and ultimately give us victory over those sins. But Jesus spoke of faith as the size of faith the size of a mustard seed. He told his disciples that if they had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, they could move mountains. They could accomplish great things for the kingdom of God, even with faith the size of a mustard seed. It wasn't the size of the faith, but the object of that Faith, namely the Lord himself, that supplied the power for their life and ministry. Here he speaks of a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. And though it is the smallest of all seeds, when it has grown, it becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The species of mustard tree that Jesus was talking about can be found in various parts of Palestine and can grow up to 30 feet high and 20 feet across. As we were coming in, I was looking at the, is that a cherry blossom tree? Is that what that is? Outside? Is that, is that beautiful pink tree outside? And I was thinking maybe that's about the dimensions, maybe it's a little bigger, but just imagine a mustard seed creating a tree that big. And that outstretched, one could use it for shade, and birds of the air can come and nest <clears throat> in it. So Jesus was saying that this little tiny mustard seed would become this habitation uh, for birds. They would come and make their nests in them. Uh, they also, of course, love to eat the little black seeds, which they pick out of the mustard seed uh, mustard trees pods so through the imagery of the tiny mustard seed growing into such a large tree Jesus was teaching his disciples that though his church was very small at first it was going to grow and grow and grow and grow beyond anything they could have imagined 
And he was illustrating the same theme through the parable of the leaven. Now, as you may know, leaven was often used in Scripture in a negative way to symbolize sin or a sinful influence or wrong thinking about the gospel. It was in that context, for example, that Paul asked in 1 Corinthians 5, do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Or it could represent a teaching that ran counter to the gospel of grace. That's how Paul uses it in Galatians 5, 9, when he said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. There he was talking about how the influence of legalism works righteousness salvation by a few within the, the, among the saints of Galatia was causing the whole congregation, the whole congregation to lose its freedom and joy and vitality in the gospel of God's free grace. But for the Jews, leaven represented any invasive or pervasive influence. Anything that started out as small or hidden, but grew and grew to influence everything around us, around it. In Jesus' parable, a woman took a, and hid a bit of leaven in three measures of flour. That's about 50 pounds of flour. And that little bit of leaven, imperceptible at first, would cause the whole mass of dough to rise. In this case, it would have produced enough bread to have fed 100 people. Jesus was saying that his kingdom and the influence of his church would be like that. It would start small and seemingly insignificant, but like yeast in the dough, it would be active. It would spread out, permeating and transforming the world around it. So Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a tiny mustard seed growing up into an expansive tree and like a bit of leaven, leavening a huge mass of dough. But to our second point, how was this significant for his first disciples? Well, those early disciples expected that when the Messiah would come, he would come with a bang, as it were. They expected that he would raise up a powerful army and defeat the Romans and all Israel's oppressors and establish a glorious earthly kingdom there in Jerusalem. But that is not at all what happened. The disciples were a small ragtag group, and though crowds sometimes flocked to Jesus, they came and went. And Jesus, rather than establishing a kingdom in Israel that would overthrow earthly powers, was himself tried, beaten, crucified, and buried. It appeared that earthly powers had in fact put an end to their Messiah. 
The humble beginnings and apparent defeat of Jesus and his fledgling church might lead one to conclude that the whole enterprise was too small, too insignificant to matter. But Sunday was coming. But then came the resurrection of Jesus. And he was proven to be the righteous one, the righteous one of Israel. He was proven right and he was proven righteous over against the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests and all those who had said he was a blasphemer. He said he was nothing but a sinner and a liar. They were proven wrong on Easter Sunday morning. Christ was proven right. He was proven to be the righteous. He was declared righteous by the Holy Spirit on Easter morning. So first came the resurrection. And then came the restoration of Peter. And then the strengthening of all the disciples. And then the ascension of Jesus to the right hand of the Father. And then the church in mustard seed form waited in Jerusalem for those 10 days, just like Jesus promised to told them to do, wait upon the promise of the Father, that the Father and the Son together would pour out the Holy Spirit upon this mustard seed. And they prayed. They didn't know how long they were going to have to wait, but they waited, they prayed, they prayed unto the Lord in one accord, in unity, for 10 days. And, and then, uh, for, for uh, 10 days after Jesus' ascension. And then came Pentecost. When the Spirit was poured out upon the disciples, and they were able to proclaim the good news of Jesus in languages they had not known before. And then that little mustard seed called the church began to grow as over 3,000 people were converted that day, repented of their sins, and embraced Jesus as Savior. And from there, the leaven of the church began to spread. Jesus had promised his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The leaven of the church and her influence did spread through those first disciples and through Paul and Barnabas and then through Timothy and Titus and subsequent generations all through Asia, Africa, Europe, and beyond. We sang a a hymn earlier uh, from a 6th century uh, Christian leader, Gregory the Great, well... I don't know about you, but I appreciate the conversion of Britain. He was behind that. He was behind sending those missionaries to go into Britain. That they would turn from paganism to the living God and call upon the name of Jesus for salvation. So this... this, Mustard seed, as it was 2,000 years ago, has spread through Asia, Africa, Europe, these shores. What began as a mustard seed 
is now like a vast tree spread from person to person, from generation to generation throughout the world. What began as a little leaven hidden in a massive lump of flour continues to spread throughout the world, and it will continue to do so in fulfillment of God's promise in Isaiah eleven nine that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that leads us to our final point, namely, how these parables apply to us today. That's a good question. How do these parables apply to us? It's easy somewhat to see how they apply to the first disciples. Their little group was like that small mustard seed, but it grew into that big and mighty tree beginning in their generation, and it's been growing ever since. But how does it apply to us today? Well, I'm sure there are a number of applications, but let me mention just one. It can be summed up with a principle that comes to us from today's Old Testament reading from the prophecy of Zechariah, chapter 4 and verse 10, which Levi read earlier. Read that wonderful, uh, those wonderful comments from the Gospel Transformation Bible. Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 10, where God tells his people not to despise the day of small things. It could be translated, do not despise small beginnings. Again, in a sense, that's what Jesus was saying to those first disciples when he told those parables. Don't despise these days of seemingly small things. They are, in fact, days of small beginnings. Be faithful. Be faithful. Pray faithfully. Work faithfully. And God is going to bless your efforts beyond what you can ask or imagine. And I think that is what God would have us take away from these parables today. Even as we gather here this morning, we are a relatively small number. But you know, maybe there's someone here this morning who has never trusted in Jesus. And today is your day. Today is the day to bow to Jesus, to to consider how, how amazing He is, how kind He is, how gracious He is, what He was willing to go through to save sinners like us, how he was willing to set his face to go to Jerusalem and not turn back. Consider his footsteps. Consider how he treated people along the way, like the woman we looked at last week who had that disabling spirit. Consider his compassion. Consider his power to heal your soul and to fill your soul. One of the the Lenten prayers in the Book of Common Prayer, which we prayed in the Sunday school class this morning, is, is based on a prayer of St. Augustine, where Augustine prayed, Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So maybe you're restless today. 
Jesus offers you rest. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. So you come and you confess your sins. You'd say, I'm a sinner. I trust you died on the cross for my sin. And you, you trust in Jesus. And you start a, a new life in him. Or maybe there is someone who has been very discouraged. Maybe you felt under attack. That the, the, the Satan who we saw attacking that woman last week, he, he's still on the prowl. He is a defeated foe, for sure, but he doesn't want to admit it. And so maybe you have been experiencing fiery darts, the fiery darts of the evil one, discouraging you. Saying nothing you do for the Lord matters. It's all in vain. You know. The child rearing, the grandparenting, the work you do at your job, nobody notices. Nobody appreciates you. The little things you try to do, maybe you don't feel like they're having any impact for the kingdom. Maybe there's someone here today who's discouraged like that. But maybe there's a word spoken through the worship through the hearing of these wonderful hymns, singing of these wonderful hymns, as we edify and encourage one another through the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and through their fellowship, you're encouraged. You're encouraged because you went to the house of the Lord. And you're encouraged. Or maybe there's someone here who is today renewed in their zeal to pray for a lost friend or loved one or maybe someone is spurred to invite someone to our next service or share the good news of Jesus with them or go from this place with a, a more Christ-like attitude that might give off that aroma of Jesus that attracts someone to Jesus or maybe as we have entered this season of, of walking with Christ as he sets his face to Jerusalem, maybe we take time to fast through a meal. We, we certainly never want to come across as mandating those kinds of things. But maybe as part of this season, you, you, you skip a meal and you spend a little extra time with Jesus and you identify with him and his fasting and in his self-denial and in his selfless love. And it, it it communicates to your body as you maybe skip a, a meal and pray and think about Jesus. It communicates to your body a little something of Christ's self-denial for you. And it cultivates a little something of that, that growth in self-denial as, as the Lord shows you in those moments, maybe areas of your life where you're being selfish, you're being prideful. And he helps you grow. In maybe being a more encouraging spouse or a more gentle father or 
more thoughtful neighbor. Maybe in your quiet time during this season or with family, you, you go through a, a Lenten devotional like Sinclair Ferguson's To Seek and to Save, the daily, daily reflections on the road to the cross. Or, O Sacred Head Now Wounded, a liturgy for daily worship during this season by Jonathan Gibson. Again, never misunderstand, never think we're trying to mandate anything like that. There's an old saying in Protestantism about such things, traditions of the church, seasons of the church, things like that. It's very simple, but it goes like this. All may, none must. Isn't that great? All may. We invite all who would like to do those kinds of things, attend a Good Friday service, attend a, a Palm Sunday morning breakfast, I mean, those kinds of things. All may, none must. But these are, these are seemingly little things, right? A little extra time with Jesus, a little extra gratitude toward him. I spoke to a young man who recently who shared that just a few days ago, last Wednesday, he took the whole day off from social media. Now, young people, some young people know that that's kind of a big deal. Like, okay, college students, check the social media a few times a day at least. He took the whole day off from social media. And when he would usually check social media, he spent time meditating on Christ's sacrifice for him. And praying that the Lord would help him to grow in Christ-like service and love. He didn't know how that was going to be, but he did that. And then the next day he said, it was so precious. It was so precious. Just those sweet times of turning from a normal creature comfort, normal routine, and just spending time with the Lord in that way. He didn't have to do that. He did that out of love for Jesus. Such things are small things. To the world, they are as insignificant as a mustard seed or as imperceptible as leaven hidden in a lump of flour. But to God, such things are precious when His children do little things like that. He delights in our fellowship. He delights when we are kind, do small kindnesses towards one another. He delights in those things. They are precious to Him. Such things are worth our time and our efforts and our prayers. And such seemingly small things can often turn into other things as we grow in grace and as the kingdom of God spreads out through our lives into the lives of others with all the glory going to him who gave himself for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.